What's up, Mill City? How y'all doing? Good, good, good. Uh, my name is Aaron. I get to be on the teaching team here. It's a great honor and privilege. Uh, many of you have gotten to know me because I've been up here before, but I've not gotten a chance to know, maybe meet you yet. Uh, if that's the case, I'd love to say hi and get to know you. I'll be on here up front after the service. Uh, come introduce yourself. Um, give us a chance to make a connection quick and get to know you a little better. Um, but thanks again for being here. Uh, as is my custom, I'm going to take just a couple of seconds here to pause before we get going to the, the sermon. <clears throat> I find that we live in such a harried and frenetic life, at least mine is, that having just 30 seconds of silence is such a rare gift and rare thing that uh, take advantage of it now when we can before we dive into the God's word together. So would you join me for a moment of silence and then I'll lead us in prayer and we'll get going. Holy Spirit, there are so many things in life and around us that are competing for our attention. Um, It is so easy to get caught up in what's going on around us and get distracted. Sometimes even our own darkness is our biggest points of distraction. And Lord, as we come before you this morning, we ask that your spirit, the Lord and giver of life, would resurrect us again today. Help us to see with clear eyes the work that you have done, the work that you're doing, the work that you will do to bring all things to your good and and, um, glory. We lift up this time to you, and we trust in your mercy and grace, and we ask that you be with us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I know we're just one week into October, uh, but given that Target has already uh, put its Christmas decorations out, I thought I would just lean into it this morning, so if you excuse me, um, and I'd love to spend some time talking about uh, Christmas traditions this morning. Uh, anyone else here have their families, either when you were growing up or now with your own kids um, or friends, the annual Christmas tradition of going around to your neighbor's houses and look at Christmas lights? Anyone else do that? Yeah, okay. Um, when I was a kid, we did this all the time. Uh, each year, my parents would painstakingly pile my sister and I into you know, mountains of, Chris, of uh, winter clothes and scarves and hats and all their goodies. And we would drive by neighbors' nativity scenes you know, that were lit up by handheld flashlights that were crammed into the snow, uh, super high-tech. Uh, we would drive by these tacky Santa scenes with his reindeer precariously uh, lifted off the rooftop and dangerously swaying in the wind. But on particularly special years, we would make this hour-ish drive out to this farm in the middle of nowhere. And I'm talking like nowheresville, Minnesota. But it was worth the drive because there in in the middle of absolutely nothing, a family would pull out all the stops to create a venerable winter wonderland. They installed these Narnia-looking lampposts that would light the way to their frozen ice skating pond. They installed theater-style spotlights to illuminate live nativity scenes complete with donkeys and lambs and bearded old kings. 
They lit their barn with lights for artisan Christmas shopping while providing copious amounts of complimentary hot cocoa. They turned their orchard treetops into a canopy of light that felt like it came straight out of a Disney film. They built a venerable winter wonderland where for a brief moment you could actually believe as though you were in a Thomas Kincaid painting. And they did it all with these. Simple twinkle lights from Target. With twinkle lights, they captured the hearts, minds, and imaginations of hundreds and hundreds of people who would triennially make their pilgrimage to this illuminated winterland. And countless people like me will forever remember that farm in the middle of nowhere, all because that family knew that what we do with light, what we illuminate, that's where we put our attention. They did it all because they knew that what gets illuminated, what we shine a light on, what we cover in bright highlights, that's what will capture our attention and our affection. In our passage this morning in the Gospel of Mark, we find Jesus making a similar point to his disciples. If you're just joining us for the first time or the first time in a long time, we're in the middle of a sermon series on my absolute favoritist of all the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. And as we look at these stories of Jesus in Mark, we're doing so with one main goal, one main objective. We want to learn what it looks like to be followers of Jesus, what it means to pursue the way of Jesus. And this strikes at the core of who we are as a church community because our purpose is to be a church that reproduces missional disciples by equipping people to follow the way of Jesus. Another way maybe to say this is we want to be a community that learns how to live and love in such a compelling and Christ-like ways that our neighbors will see Jesus in us. Our neighbors will see Jesus in our affections and our actions. So let's dig into this passage today and see what we can learn about the way of Jesus together. If you have them, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Uh, we're looking at verses 21 through 25. Again, that's Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. Uh, follow along in your Bible, or you can read it on the screen that's behind me, whatever it is that gives you joy. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said to them, Do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you, and even more. Those who have will be given more. As for those who don't have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I love Jesus' open li opening line with this parable, uh, the story, right? Uh, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed, Jesus asks? The question is itself kind of ridiculous, uh, I mean, almost comical. The lamp that Jesus is referring to here would have been a simple household oil lamp, like on the picture behind me. See, in the days before matches and lighters, available and controlled fire was a precious commodity, in large part sustained just by these household lamps. But the thing is, these oil lamps actually took a great deal of attention and maintenance to keep going in order to stay both lit and also to stay safe. 
For example, if you didn't regularly trim the wick, you'd likely consume too much oil too quickly, which means that you might run out of fuel before you have the chance to replenish it. If you didn't extend the wick when the fire was dying down, it's possible the light would just go out. Now, maybe this wouldn't be such a big deal in a city since you get a relight from a neighbor, but to the rural farm folk up in Galilee where Jesus is now teaching, running out of oil and thus running out of a source of fire could be either a huge nuisance at best or disastrous at worst. Because no fire meant no warmth in the winter, and it also meant no bread or fried fish, the staples of a Galilean diet. So for a family out in the rural Galilee, an unlit lamp could literally mean life or death. Sometimes survival was dependent upon keeping those lamps burning. And so the idea of putting a lamp under a bowl would have sounded ridiculous to Jesus' audience because putting a lamp under a clay bowl was, if nothing else, a surefire way to what? Snuff it out. The only time you'd put a lamp under a bowl is if you wanted the fire to go out. Sorry, I said that backwards, didn't I? The only time you'd want to put a lamp under a bowl is if you'd wanted the fire to go out. So of course you wouldn't put a lamp under a bowl. Ridiculous. But even more ridiculous is the idea of putting it under a bed, right? Bed frames in those days were made of wood and mattresses were made of dried hay and straw. So you can probably imagine what would happen if someone happened to thoughtlessly or carelessly put their lamp under a bed at night. One word. Barbecue. <laughs> of course, you wouldn't put a lamp under a bed. No one would do that. Ridiculous. But I think that was Jesus' point here. He was making a joke that everyone would have snickered at. It would have sounded ludicrous to suggest putting a lamp under a bed or under a bowl. Of course you wouldn't do that. You put lamps on a lampstand. Everyone knows that. And you would put that lampstand next to that which you'd want to illuminate. So let's talk about light for a second and illumination. Light, right? It communicates comfort and warmth and healing. It gives direction and hope so we can better see and understand more fully. Like that Winter Wonderland family knew, we're drawn to what's illuminated. And so naturally then, what we illuminate that's what captures our attention. So, what is your life illuminating these days? What's capturing your attention? For many of us here at Mill City, your life is a lot like that farmhouse. You have lifted up Jesus and set him as the center of your life's focus for all the surrounding world to see, and it is beautiful. Day by day, you live your life following the way of Jesus and the little things and the big things. You are generous and thoughtful and kind and compassionate. You forgive and you ask for forgiveness. You show up when a neighbor is in need, offering a rake and willing hands when the leaves have completely buried your neighbor's lawns. You offer your homes as quiet spaces of respite for those whose lives have been upended. You give of your time and your talents and your treasure to see the gospel go forward in hundreds of tangible and practical ways. And then when combined together, are as beautiful as that farm covered in boxes of twinkle lights. Sure, people may not write books about us or interview us on TV. Our names might even be forgotten in a few decades. But when I see what your lives illuminate, when I see the purpose 
and the spiritual power that we found together in following Jesus. It's inspiring. It's captivating. It's beautiful. Because your life illuminates a purposeful and invitational love for Jesus and Jesus' kingdom. But this isn't always easy, is it? Some of us have gotten so busy and so distracted and are so focused on so many things, it's hard to know what our lives are illuminating anymore. Our lives have begun to look a little bit more like this. In a loud and fractured competition for our eyes' attention, the palette of light here and color distracts and overwhelms. It confuses and contradicts. It draws the eyes in dizzying circles from one thing to the next to the next, consuming all and yet seeing nothing. In the undisciplined fashion of glorious tackiness, these lights draw your eye everywhere, instantly, and therefore overwhelmingly nowhere. It's chaotic, it's confusing, it's dizzying, it's out of control. In the midst of all this Christmas-like chaos, somewhere, somewhere, sweet baby Jesus lies strangled in the manger of our hearts, tangled in the lights of our busyness and our anxieties. Like I said, I'm leaning hard into this Christmas that comes early this morning. (laughs) But I do wonder if this kind of illustrates how many of us are living today. Like the lights on these houses on the screen behind me, we're busy. Over busy, really. We're frantically running from place to place, person to person, project to project. We're always behind. We're always stressed, driving with the radio on, while talking on the phone, while checking our email, while wondering what we're going to have for dinner that night. We try to keep a spotlight on our bank accounts and our budgets and our bills and our belly lines all at the exact same time. Life is so harried and so busy and so distracted that we don't even realize that we've tossed the oil lamp under the bed until the house is burning down all around us. Now again, right? None of these things that takes that captures our attention and compete for our attention are bad necessarily. They're all good things and we should pay attention to them in the proper context and to the proper degree. But we can get into bona fide trouble though when we treat each and every one of them as equally essential all the time. So, what is your life illuminating? For some of us, our lives illuminate that over-busy, chaotic, distracted homeowner who's about to burn her house down. But others of us, when we consider what we're illuminating, when we consider what is getting our attention, when we consider the state of our souls, we know it looks, honestly, more like this. We know we should care about how we hang those strings up on the top of our house. We know we probably should put more time and energy and care into what we're doing or how things are going or the choices we're making. But sometimes, sometimes it's just easy to throw up a proverbial string of lights and a half-committal prayer, hoping that something, anything will stick, than it is to actually do the work of engaging Jesus. We know we should care that one glass of wine each night has become two or three. We know we should care that that one click to a dangerous website has turned into ours. We know that we probably should have 
that hard conversation about that relational wound that we haven't healed from. We probably should spend more time discipling our kids or spending time in prayer or investing in community and giving thanks to the Lord. But, meh. (laughs) That just takes so much work, you know? So we avoid commitment or conflict or time in community, but then we wonder why we never experience resolution or progress. Because sometimes... Sometimes it's just easier to put a bowl over a lamp than to pay attention to what it's illuminating. Sometimes it's easier just to throw up a string of lights haphazardly than it is to put in the time and energy and work required to live the abundant life that comes with pursuing the light of Christ. In the midst of all that Christmas light apathy, somewhere, somewhere, sweet baby Jesus lies dying in the darkness of our indifference. So what does your life illuminate? And yet others of us are facing an entirely different reality this morning. What does my life illuminate? I'm sorry, but I haven't had a ray of hope for eons. My life is as dark as night. For some of us, darkness feels like it's surrounding us, as though thick, impenetrable darkness is everywhere. And no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, we all go through seasons of life like this. We all go through seasons of darkness like this. And even if that's not you right now, I can imagine that most of us can think back to a moment or moments in our lives where we've experienced deep sadness or tragedy or loss. Times when dreams went unrealized, when plans got changed unexpectedly, when people we counted on abandoned us, when we got diagnoses that we were terrified of hearing about, or when we felt alone and without hope. And some of us, some of us in this very room, at this very moment, some of us are in seasons of darkness like this right now. Maybe it's an insecurity that won't go away, an addiction that we never thought we'd have, a longing we just can't seem to satisfy. I mean, let's be real for a moment, right? Even in the midst of all of God's beauty and restoration, which is abundant everywhere around us, even in the midst of the surety of God's victory over death right now, Right now, there's still depression and abuse and infertility and disconnection and disease and death. Things that God never intended for the world to see and know. In the midst of this darkness, sometimes it can be hard to believe that there could possibly be any good news of great joy for anyone, let alone me. Thick, impenetrable darkness is everywhere it seems. Have you been there? I have, loads of times. But here's the other thing I've learned about deep darkness. It flees before the light, right? Darkness cannot stand when faced with the light, even when it's the flame from one simple lamp. I mean, did you know that in total pitch black darkness, we can see the light from one single simple taper candle. We can see the light from one candle one and a half miles away. One and a half miles away. That's crazy because it doesn't take a lot of light to make a huge difference. It doesn't take a lot of light to find our way out of the darkness because darkness flees before the light. And this is what God wants. For whatever is hidden 
is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. We are not meant to be trapped in darkness forever. We are not meant to be trapped in our fears forever. We are not meant to be trapped in our shame or our sins. We are not meant to be trapped in our insecurities or our addictions. We're not meant to be trapped in the darkness of despair or loneliness or grief or isolation. We are meant to let the light of God's love shine into our darkness because darkness flees before the light. Friends, the good news of the gospel, the light of the world has already been lifted up and the darkness has not overcome it. In the same way that a lamp is lifted up on a lampstand in order to dispel the surrounding darkness, so too Jesus, God's own son, was lifted up onto a cross in the midst of a world covered in the deep darkness of sin and brokenness and shame. And after Jesus had taken all our sin and shame onto his own shoulders on that cross, he took all that thick, impenetrable darkness right with him into the grave to bury it forever. Amen, Amen, right? And then three days later, the glory of God's love blazes forth in full brilliance as Jesus rises again from the grave to give us his light, a light of a new and resurrected life that will never end. And now, now, When we, you and I, stand uncovered in the naked light of Jesus, you know what God sees? God sees you. God sees you. Blemishes, warts, brokenness, imperfections, bad hair day, all. You know what else God sees when we stand in the light of Christ? Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the God of the universe, when he sees you, healing and affection and wonder and resurrection joy, that's what God sees in us when we let the light of Jesus shine on our darkest places. When we bring our darkness, our sadness, and our hopelessness, our fears and sins and shames, when we bring our darkness to the light of Jesus, that darkness doesn't stand a chance even if sometimes the light feels to grow more slowly than we would like. Because you see, the answer to any light problem isn't to try and to be brighter on our own strength or will. It's instead to put Jesus where Jesus belongs in our lives, high and lifted up, placed at the center of our mind's attention, our heart's affection, and our hand's devotion. So again, The question is put to us, what will we do with that light? Consider carefully what you hear, Jesus continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. One prominent New New Testament scholar has argued that since the obscure marketplace language of the first century world is lost on us today, perhaps a better translation of this passage would be to say, the more attention that you give to Jesus, the more Jesus' presence and power you'll be able to feed on and to grow into. In other words, the more that we bring our struggles out of the darkness and into the light of Christ's forgiveness and healing and renewal, the more we will grow into the people that we were intended to be, people of freedom and empathy and wisdom and depth and strength. Even the slightest turn towards Jesus, even the slightest appreciation for his mercy on us, even the faintest prayer for help, even the most marginal spark of faith in the resurrected Lord's love towards us will begin to brighten us. 
But this change is gradual. And sometimes, sometimes I need help from you to see the light and to find my way. Our last house, the one that we owned when we lived in Massachusetts, <coughs> it didn't have any working lights in the basement, no joke. Uh, it's not that we didn't have lights in the basement, it's that we literally didn't have a working light switch that would turn on the lights in the basement, or turn on the power downstairs, let alone the lights. But we did have one working floor lamp that was plugged into literally the one working electrical socket that was all the way across on the other side of the basement. And you know, in the summer, when the days are long and bright, the basement was usually lit up enough that this wasn't much of a big deal. But in the dead of winter, though, when it's pitch black by 5 p.m. and I needed to get some firewood out of the basement for our wood stove, this could be kind of a problem. And it's possible, maybe, maybe, that there were times when I was too lazy or too much in a rush to go get a flashlight and so found myself having to grope around blindly in the dark for what I was looking for. And this could sometimes be kind of overwhelming because I would oftentimes find out what lives in the depths of the darkness. Spiders. And it's moments like these when I can't see anything at all and I've gotten so tangled up in the dark, unable to move forward or backward, that I would freak out and call to Ariel, my wife, for help. And after a few panic-stricken moments, she would come down the stairs with her, you know, iPhone flashlight, which gave me just enough light for me to find my way across the room to the floor lamp. And then, because she shared just the littlest amount of light, I could turn on the floor lamp and see clearly enough to squash those nasty spiders underfoot. A little light from someone else was all I needed to start moving towards freedom from the darkness that I feared. Here's the thing about light that the darkness of my basement has taught me. Sometimes, and this has been very true in my life, sometimes I won't have the capacity to find the light on my own. Sometimes I will literally need your faith in Jesus in order to lift me up out of my own darkness. And so sometimes there are things in me that God is doing that I need to pay more attention to, and sometimes there are things around me that I need to pay attention to because God's at work. And sometimes, sometimes I am such a mess that I need people who love me to bring some of the light of Jesus to me because I am struggling to see any of it for myself. Sometimes I need the light of your life as a follower of Jesus in order to see, for me to see any of this myself. But the promise remains the same, regardless of where we are in our lives. The more attention that each of us gives to Jesus, the more his presence and power will be available to all of us. And this is what we do when we lift the light of Christ in our hearts, in our minds, with our hands, and for each other. And the measure we use is the measure we'll get. So I ask you again, what does your life illuminate? Which is a way to ask, what is the focus of your worship? Years and years ago, a mentor of mine helped me clarify this question. He described worship, or as I've been saying, illumination, this way. He says, worship is the casting of our mind's attention, our heart's affection, and our hand's devotion 
onto Jesus. Let me say that again. Worship is the casting of our mind's attention, our heart's affection, and our hand's devotion onto Jesus. So just a few questions for you as we close our time. First, what's capturing your mind's attention these days? Do you stay awake at night worrying about something? Are you constantly thinking about a project that needs finishing, a meal that needs preparing, the bills that need paying, the sin that needs confessing, the shame you haven't brought yet into Christ's healing light? Are you giving too much or maybe even too little thought to your finances or your future? What would it look like for you to cast your mind's attention onto Jesus in your job, with your family, or your neighborhood this year? What is your life illuminating? What's capturing your mind's attention? Second, what's capturing your heart's affections these days? It's good that your kids capture your heart's affections, but it will be a little bit like Christmas-like chaos or lamps under a bed when we as parents let their activities or achievements crowd out the cross in our life. It's good that we love our friends. I mean, I'll be honest, I love it when you love me, right? But it's light pollution when your approval of me or your friend's approval of you is the most essential thing. It's good that you love your job, but it's light pollution when it becomes your source of identity. What would it look like for you to cast your heart's affections onto Jesus this morning? And lastly, what are your hands devoted to these days? Are they lifted in prayer? Are they raised in praise? Do they mimic the work of the Lord and help the blind to see, the lame to walk, the diseased to be healed, the deaf to hear, and to give new life to the walking dead in our midst? Do you use them to work as unto the Lord, or do you use them to work unto your boss or a bonus? Where are your hands devoted these days? Do they embrace both friends and enemies? Do they protect the weak, comfort the hurting, do they heal the wounded? Do they reach out to strangers? What are your hands devoted to you these days? Friends, focusing our mind's attention, our heart's affection, our hand's devotion to Jesus lets us see clearly the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the inspiring, and the gut-wrenching all and allows us to see it all in the light of the Lord who loves to cast out even the deepest darkness. And so this morning, wherever you are, Whatever kind of lighting job you find yourself living in today, I invite you to lift up the light of Christ this morning as we close our time in song worship. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning in various places, places of over-busy, distracted, places of apathy and indifference, places of deep darkness. And Jesus, wherever we are, whatever we brought in the room this morning, we turn now and we give them all to you. Our sin, we throw it to the cross. Our shame, we throw it to the cross. Our fears, we throw it on the cross. Our wounds and hurts, we throw it on the cross. Jesus, we know that all you take with you into the grave. Never have power again. Jesus, we ask this morning that in the light of your resurrected life, you would give us new hope, new power, 
new strength, and new joy for the day. Jesus, we love you, and we worship you with all that we have, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.